right, morning. How we doing? Good, good, good. Very good, very good. If you have your Bibles, grab those. John chapter uh, 1 will continue with our series leading up into uh, Christmas. Um, so you can follow along on the app if you have the app. Or if you need to download the app, you can download it. It's under worship and there'll be sermon notes. And if you uh, like to know, kind of know ahead or know where we're heading or make little notes, things like that, uh, you can do that there in the app. Um, before we jump in and kind of recap last week and talk a little bit about where we're headed this week, um, I just want to take a minute and just kind of bring everybody up to speed on where we're at with some things. Um, so our after school program, what up? I know I did that on purpose for you. Um, uh, so our after school program, uh, we met with the board. I put, we put the board together, and I'm going to introduce you to them here in just a moment. Um, but just so you know the heart of the men and women on that board, um, we, we said we're going to start this after school program, and, and we are, but we're going to tweak it for just a second. We're not going to call it a program, because what they wanted to do, because we believe that everything we say um, is important, um, the verbiage and the things that, that we do is very, very important, and so we want to be very intentional with what we do there. And so we've, uh, we've changed it from an after school program uh, to an after school ministry, because we believe that that's more reflective, or the board believes that that's, and I'm wholeheartedly with you on that. Um, I believe that that's more reflective of what um, our heart and vision for that opportunity uh, is. And so it's not a program, it's a ministry. And so real quick, just to kind of introduce you uh, to them. And as things roll out, I'll bring everybody up to speed and let you know uh, where we're at and the things that's going on there. But, but real fast, uh, the trustee that's going to be on the board, that's going to sit on that board for the after school uh, ministry is going to be Jody Caldwell. He's back here in the back. He's one of our trustees. Um, he will be uh, on the board. Also, Miss Becky Pizer, who sits right here, uh, is on the board. And I don't know if Tina Yon is in here or not. She is in the children. Um, so Tina Yon, who plays a big role, I know with Ashley and, and the children's ministry and stuff here, she's also involved in the, the school system uh, as well, uh, is, is a part of that board. And so uh, we've met a few times, getting things together, lined out, all the, that stuff. And so, man, I, I'm excited to see what God's going to do. Like, I really feel he's stirring and doing it. I, I don't know if you're aware, but um, there's three houses already, like, thrown up over here. I don't, thrown up's probably not the right word. Built at a safe, fast pace. Um, right across the road, which means families will be coming to fill those homes soon. And so our hope and our prayer is that kids come with them. And so we have an opportunity to minister to this neighborhood, to this community. And the one next to us, we're trying to be um, aggressive and smart. I know aggressive kind of sounds like so like wiry, don't it? Like, oh, aggressive. Get them for Jesus. Um, uh, but we, we want to be very um, and thought out and, and just think of ways that we can reach and so reach these communities around us. And so, I mean, we're excited and we believe that this will be a great opportunity for our church uh, to be a part uh, of our community all the more and be able to get the gospel of Jesus Christ out into homes, into families. And so um, that's kind of where we're at right now. Like I said, as stuff comes, we'll roll out and we'll let you know and make you, uh, make you aware of, of things with it. Um, but our plan is to hit the ground running hard in January. Um, so sign-ups and those type of things coming. Um, so if you're interested, we'll get more info and things like that out soon. Um, so that's, that's what I've got there that uh, really excited me this week. Um, so last week, like I said, we started our new series, The Light Has Come. Um, and we really, we looked at three reasons. We honed in on three reasons uh, why the light will trump over darkness, why light trumps over darkness. And what we're doing is we're just going to walk through John chapter 1 leading up to Christmas as we prepare our hearts. And we're going to look at the Christmas story in a little uh, different light this year, and a little different, from a different angle uh, this year. And so we, we looked last week of how the light trumps over the darkness. Three, three points there was the light and the life is God. So, so we saw there in the very beginning, verses 1 and 2, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, uh, was with God, and the Word what was God. And so we talked about that for a little bit and looked at that and how the light and the life is God. The second thing we looked at last week is uh, the light is the life of the creator of all. 
And so uh, Jesus and God, uh, the triune um, trinity there, that, that they, are, they, are, they are the light and the life of all things that we know. And the last thing that we looked at is that Jesus is the light of life and he is the son of God. And so if you missed any of that, you can go back and you can check that out on our website or you can look on our app. It's, it, things are there. Um, and so uh, we closed last week in verse 5. And, and I just really, I think we need to hear this again. I just believe that this is just an encouragement for us that will help us so much. But Jesus says in verse 5 of John 1, he says this, that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So I just reminded us during this Advent, during this Christmas season, that we need to remember that the, the light cannot be overcome by darkness. For those of us who are found in Jesus Christ, we win. The light wins. And so I challenged us last week to be aggressive and be on the offense this season, to, to invade the darkness. Church, like we've been given the promise that the darkness will not overcome us. That's what Jesus says. So we need to invite, we need to invest, we need to have gospel conversations because as children of light, we cannot be overcome. And we know the work of the Holy Spirit. We know the work in, of God in this world is to draw a lost man to himself, that, that God wants to save, God desires to save lost man. And he uses us as, as uh, representatives of the light. And so we talked about all of that last week. Like I said, you can, you can see that on our website if you missed it um, or catch up there. But um, as a whole, we've got God's people. We've got Israel. And they didn't receive Jesus either at the first Christmas or during his earthly ministry. God's people didn't receive him when he was born or even as he lived out his life, as he proved and as he showed who he truly was and, and what he was doing. And so the very ones that he comes to save, they didn't even recognize their need of a Savior. They missed it. And so I beg of you this Christmas season, don't miss the need for Jesus in your life. Don't miss the reality of what the light is, who he is. So this passage here in John is not just a description about Israel's lack of faith, the ones that he, he came for, God's chosen people, but it's, but it's also a warning for us who've come after them. It's also to make us aware of who Jesus truly is. And hear me, there are implications. Every one of us in this room has rejected Jesus at some point. Every single one of us in our sin and our lostness has rejected Jesus. And so today my hope is to show you that the light shines to show us the way to God. That Jesus shines to show us the way to God. And that it is only possible through a supernatural birth that happens by way of faith in Jesus. So I'm going to ask you if you'd join me as we pray. We'll jump into John chapter 1 verse 9 here in a moment. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Jesus, we need you. God, I pray you just speak this morning in this place. Father, that your presence would be heavy. Father, here in this place as well as online as people tune in and watch. Father God, we, we pray that you just move in a mighty way and that you draw man to yourself. That you draw woman to yourself. That you draw child to yourself, God. That you would reveal in the hearts of people exactly where they're at, whether they're in great need of you or Father, if they're one of yours, God, that you would just continue to draw them and encourage and convict and do a multitude of things in their life. So Father, we thank you and we praise you for all that you've done. We thank you for, for coming to earth for us, for dying on a cross for us, for, for loving us and inviting us in. Father, help us be reminded of that. Help us shine. God, speak this morning to our hearts. We are in desperate need of you. In your name we pray, amen. All right, John chapter one, starting in verse nine. This is what God's word says. It says this, it says, the true light, who's the true light? The true light is Jesus. So the true light is what he says. And so if there's a true light, what does that let us know? If there's something true, then there has to be something what? False. So, so there is a false light. 
And we know this, don't we? We feel this, we see this, we experience this. I mean, you turn on the news, you can see real quick that evil is present, that evil is real, that there is a darkness out there that, that tries to overtake the light, that tries to, uh, uh, to overtake and to manipulate and to destroy and to tear down and, and to do a number of things. So we, we feel this in our world, we see this. I mean, you could just walk out and uh, uh, walk through the town or go to, to the store or turn on the news or check social media. It's, it's everywhere. But Jesus says that there's this true light and it's Jesus, but there's that false light. And so who is the false light? Well, well 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen tells us this. It says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as what? An angel of light. So there it is. There's the false light. Who's the false light? The false light is Satan. And what does Satan do? He influences others to be false light. He, he influences others to be a part of that. So Satan does what? He disguises himself. He, he disguises himself. Why would he disguise himself? Because he doesn't want us to see and know truly who he is. What his motives are. Why he's like he is. What he is doing. That's the only reason why you discuss something. Because you don't want someone to see what it truly is or what it truly means or what's really happening. And so Satan disguises himself. Why? Because he's cunning. Right? He's sly. He's smart. And so he appeals to the flesh and he looks to be good and he looks to be right. I don't know about you, but as a kid, I can remember growing up. And my, my picture of Satan was this guy in like a red tight outfit, pointy little tail, had some horns and a pitchfork. And I'm like, like, who would go around that dude? Like, I'm not going around that guy. There's no way. And I think that's what we think of when we think of Satan, when we think of darkness, when we think of things, like things that are inherently evil and bad, and like you would never run to that. But that's not what the Scriptures is teaching here. That's not what it's showing. It's not Satan. No, Satan's beautiful. He is nice. He appears to be something that he's not. What light, what it draws, it attracts. Well, because we can see it, right, so we think. And so what Corinthians here, what Paul says in Corinthians is, is that Satan, that's how he is. He, he appeals to the flesh. He looks to be something that he's not. He disguises himself. Church, that's why it's so important that we know truth. That's why it's so important that we're immersed in the word of God. Because Satan likes to do what? Manipulate truth. He likes to make it sound so close that it's hard to distinguish. Remember whenever Jesus is tempted? Tempted by Satan, he had fasted and, and prayed and uh, was without food or water for 40 days, 40 nights, and he, he's led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to what? To be tempted by Satan? What does Satan do? Satan manipulates what? The Word of God. That's what he does. He tries to change it. He tries to change some wording. He tries to change some meaning and interpretation to it, and he, and he tries to, ma to manipulate it. And that's why it's so important that we know the Word of God. That's why it's so important that we're in the Word of God. And let's just be honest for a moment. It's 2020, right? I mean, we are without excuse. I mean, we as believers are more technologically advanced and have got more resources than we've ever had in our entire life. So there's no excuse for us as followers of Jesus not to know the Word, not to be in the Word. And here, we don't have to have a college education to do that. I mean, the resources that are readily available for us to understand and to know God's Word, and not to mention the translations that we can actually pick up and read and understand. That we can open up God's Word and be able to read it in a language that we talk, a language that we know. That we can do that and hear and know the Word of God so we are without excuse. And so, 
What we know about Satan is that he likes to manipulate. He likes to, he likes to disguise himself. And so I just, I just want to just chat for a moment about a few things that I believe that he, he does a really, really good job at deceiving us in. A really, really good job at drawing us away from truth and reality of who Christ is and what Christ means and what he's come to accomplish in us. And I believe some of these lies are just some that we can see lived out for sure. And, and so, so one of them is this, is that, is that we're good. That we're inherently good. That there's something in us that is good. And the problem is that is that we want to believe that and we want to fall into that and we want to, we always think better of ourselves than we should, don't we? Always. I mean, I'm really not that bad. You're really not that bad, are you? But that's not what the scriptures teach. What the scriptures teach is that no, none is good, not one. There is not one of us in this room apart from Jesus Christ that, that is anything. It's only through him that we're made anything, holy and righteous, so apart from him, I mean, we are wicked, we are vile, why? Because we are sinners, we have rebelled, we want nothing to do with God. And I don't care how nice you are, I don't care if you hold the door for granny, I don't care if you cut somebody's grass for free. That doesn't make you good and right and nice. And so one of the lies that we believe, one of the ways that we've been deceived is, is in believing that we're good and the Bible teaches opposite. We're not. No, no, the one that makes us anything is Jesus. I think the second, the second lie that we believe and we're so quick to jump into is this, is that we deserve. I mean, holy cow. If there hasn't been something just in the last 10 years that has just really rocked the world, is that, is that this, uh, this culture and this world that has been created of, I mean, I deserve just because. Well, I'm American, so I deserve this. Or I have these parents, so I deserve this. Or, or I, I can't believe my teacher would have given me a, a C. Well, did you do the homework? No. Did you study for the test? No. Did you do, did you do that? No. Then why in the world would you think that you would get an A? You didn't do anything, any of the work, but I deserve. We deserve nothing. Church, the scriptures teach that what we deserve is, is death and eternal judgment. That's what we deserve. We deserve hell. So when we run around saying that we deserve or we should get, thank God we don't get what we deserve. Thank God he is gracious and merciful because what we deserve is eternal torment and judgment and damnation in a real place called hell. That's what we all deserve. That, that is everything we deserve. I don't care how good and how nice, I don't care what you've done in your past that you think equals out to uh, allowing us to deserve something or God should give me or God should do for me. Because church, hear me. Hear me this morning. Thank God we don't get what we deserve. And if God doesn't do another thing for us, he's done too much in Jesus. That would have been a great place for an amen. I'm just going to help you out right here. I'll just we'll coach you along. We'll get through this thing. If God doesn't do another thing for us, he has already done too much through his son on the cross in Jesus. That's the reality of where we're living. And so the fact that God does anything for us is just an added bonus. I mean, which takes us right back to the first, the first point. I mean, we're not good. I mean, like you, you've got to understand that. You've got to land to that place. You've got to see that and know that because we're not good, the fact that God does send his son to die for us, send his son in a little lowly manger as a baby because he sends his son to grow up and live a perfect, sinless, spotless life. Down across, why? So that he could provide and offer salvation so we can have relationship with him for eternity. That, that's more than anything. We, if he 
something else. We, we've gotten way too much. And I think a third lie, a third lie that we are so quickly to, to buy into and to fall into is this, is that our feelings and our emotions are utmost. Well, you know what? Like, I just feel like, or that made me really sad, or, oh, I just, like, 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 like whenever this happened, like, it just, oh, just, like, we're just such an emotionally driven culture, are we not? I mean, we are emotionally crazed. And I'm not saying that emotions aren't good because God's created us to be emotional, so that's, that's a good thing, but we've got to keep those things in check. We can't let our emotions drive us. What drives us is truth, and then we respond in truth. That's where our, our emotions should be held in check. And so we live in that day, we live in that age where it's, it's what's right for me is right for me. Maybe it's not right for you, brother or sister, but it's right for me. And that's hogwash. That's a little country. Where the heck did that come from? Sorry, my West Virginia comes out from time to time. I mean, but that, that's crazy. There has got to be a standard. If there's not a standard, I don't want to be a part of it. There has got to be a standard, and the standard is found in God's Word. The standard is found in, in Jesus' life. The standard is found in who the creator of the universe, what He has said and done. That's the standard. And you know what? My poor little emotions will get over it because truth will dictate. Truth will rule. And as I align myself with truth, my emotions will follow. That's where we need to align ourselves. That's where we need to be. Because I don't know if you're aware of this, but the Scripture says, who can know the heart? Do you not know that it's deceitful and wicked at best is what I think the prophet Isaiah says? That's what our emotions are. If they're not held in check by the reality and the truth of who Jesus Christ is, that's what we get. So the true light is Jesus, the false light is Satan. And so uh, Paul finishes up in verse 15, or I'm going to finish with what Paul says. He says, so it's no surprise of his servants, who Satan's servants, also disguise themselves uh, as servants of righteousness, and their end will correspond with their deeds. So wh why do they disguise? They disguise because they don't want their real motives and intentions to be made known. Right? You've watched those spy movies. What well, they disguise themselves like, so they're not detected. So they're not made out, so they can blend in, so they can uh, get amongst where they need to be, and then they can wreak havoc, they can cause problems. That's what Satan wants to do. That's what he uses his servants for. So the darkness hides what it knows to be wrong and bad. Well, because light exposes. Light always exposes, and Jesus is light. And thank God that he exposes, because hear me, one of the greatest things that he can do for us is expose us in our, in our wickedness and sin. One is a lost person and two as a, as a follower of Jesus who's just dabbling in stuff we shouldn't be dabbling in. The most gracious thing and loving thing that could ever happen to us is to be caught. That the light would expose our sin and wickedness. Because then in that moment when we're caught, we've got the great decision to make of whether I'm going to fall back in line to who Jesus is and what he expects of me or I'm going to continue in my rebellion and sin. And motives and hearts will show where people are at. So he goes on back, back verse 9. He says, the true light, John 1 here, true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And so the true light that sheds revealing light on everyone, it, he came into the world. That's Jesus. And so he comes to do what? To expose and to make known. Verse 10, and he was in the world and the world was made through him. But think about that for a moment. The upstate, Spartanburg, everyone in these areas, including us in this room, we were made through him. Remember last week what verse 3 in John 1 says? It says this, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. All things were made through him. Why? Because Jesus was at the beginning. Jesus is not bound by time like we are. Jesus is not uh, stuck in one spot like we are. Jesus is eternal. Jesus 
is God. And so he's always been, he will always be. He's not created, he's the uncreated one. What does he do? He creates. And so the scriptures teach that he was there when everything was made. You, me, all of it. Everything. He was there and breathes it into existence. So he was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world, and so when we see the world here, it refers to humanity in rebellion against God and hostility toward Christ. So, so he was there at the beginning when the world was being created, when it was made, when everything was made through him. Yet the world, the very thing that he creates, us, this world, us, refers to us in our sin and our hostility toward Christ. In our lostness. The world, yet the world. And so I was just thinking this week as I was looking at this, as I was praying through some of this, and I guess I, guess it, I should understand it better, but I just don't. Like, I just don't. And I know what Jesus says. He says, hey, 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 remember they hated me first. So if they hated me first, what does that mean for us that follow Jesus that take on his name? The world's going to hate us. Like, like, church, we need to understand that, that the world can't stand us. That they're not going to. They're not going to understand and they're not going to stand for. Why? Because they didn't for Jesus. Why? Because there's a standard that's been set. There's a way that's right. And so as a result of that, uh, and I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me back up. I'm sorry. I'll get, I mean, I'll get to preaching here in a minute. Hang on. Buckle up. But I guess I was just reading and I was looking at this and just kind of that whole thought of just, of just this hostility towards Christ. And I think the thing that blows my mind is that people are hosti- hostile towards people who believe in something that they don't even believe is true. That they don't even believe is right. And so I was thinking, and the way that I'm going to try to illustrate that is this this morning, is, is unicorns. A majestic creature it is. Unicorns. You don't see people running around and freaking out and going crazy over even unicorns, do you? Well, why not? Those majestic creatures are crazy. They may buck you off. They could hurt you. They could do who knows what with you. But you don't see the world going crazy about that, do you? You don't see the world getting all up in arms about people who believe in unicorns and are hostile towards unicorns. Then if they don't believe in Jesus, if the world doesn't believe in Jesus, then why in the world are they aggressive or hostile towards those who believe in Jesus? Who are supposedly followers of Christ? I'm happy you asked because I've got two reasons here that I want to tell you. See, this is how we do this. This is great. Y'all are on it this morning. And, and so... These are just two reasons that I come up with. I mean, there's tons more, but, but I believe why there's hostility towards Jesus and his followers is because Jesus brings about a standard and an expectation of holiness that we're called to live by and the world wants to live for self and self-pleasure and they want nothing of it. Because when Jesus comes, it's not just a free-for-all. Okay, just, just believe in me and then go back to living your life. That's not real belief and that's not saving faith. Like, you know that, right? Just say a little prayer, do a little jig, do your thing, get the t-shirt, get dunked and go on about your business. That, that, that's not true salvation. And so what happens is Jesus busts onto the scene and he lives in such a way that contradicts even the religious people of the day. That would appear to go against the standards that have been set. But what he does is he comes to fulfill and to show the standard. The, the, what had happened is they dropped the bar so low, Jesus said, uh-uh, my bar is up here. You're not going to put it down there. This is how we're to live. This is how we're to be. And I believe the world hates that. Why? Because there comes accountability with that. You mean to tell, and it it squashes everything I just said. You mean my emotions aren't utmost? No, your emotions are not utmost. The truth of who Jesus is and his standards, that's utmost. You want an example? Look to Christ. 
You, you mean none of that stuff matters? No, it, no, Christ matters. Jesus' standard matters. And what's happened is, is, is that Jesus busts onto the scene and you know what he does? He tells us the truth about us. And we don't like to know the truth about us. We hate the truth about us. Why? Because we like to think better of ourselves than we really are. You don't believe me? Just let's check out our social media pages for a few moments. You laugh because you know it's true. The filters, the, the angles by which we... You know it's true. Baby, baby, here, take this picture. I'm going to pose myself. We don't lay on rocks like that. Ever. I mean, how crazy is that? You are not a model. Nor should you want to strive to be one. I mean, what the heck? But that's the life that we live. That's what we do. And, and hear me, we hate to hear the dirty truth about ourselves. But a true Christ follower already knows and understands and has seen the truth about themselves in light of who Jesus is and understands that Jesus welcomes them in even in the mess and the muck because what? Jesus is the one who makes the changes. Not us. We're not that good. We are not that good. It's Christ and Christ alone who makes the changes, who does the work in our life. And so I believe the world can't stand Jesus because Jesus has told the world the truth about themselves. And thank God we have, we've believed it and we understand that and the Holy Spirit has worked on our hearts to say, oh, you're dang right, Jesus, I, I, man, I'm ugly and nasty and I've got some stuff going on. And you sure you want me? All right, I'm in. You're going to take me in the midst of that? But Jesus, do you understand? Yes, I understand, son. I know you better than you know yourselves. And you don't even have to do the filters and all the crazy stuff to make it appear like, like that's what's crazy. Like, like um, we'd had some pictures made not too long ago. Um, with, with, with the whole family now that we got the new addition with Bishop. And so we're, ha we're having pictures made. And, and, and I, you know what pictures are like with kids. And my wife, God bless her, she's watching this morning. Hey, baby. Um, she wants those pictures perfect, boy. Uh, and there is no such thing as a perfect picture with an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, a newborn, and a Scott. She's like, you're doing that weird thing again, Scott, with your mouth. Well, I'm just smiling. I always do that. Yeah, but you're doing it weird this time. And I'm like, well, what else do you want? And then you got kids running around. Don't get dirty. Like, I will kill you if you get dirty before the pictures. Oh, she can Photoshop, Scott. Don't worry about it. But you jump on me about my smile and they can roll around in the mud. And, ah. but, but we do that, don't we? We stage it. We try to make it look good. And then, and then we, we drop it off like, oh, look at my lovely little family. Little angels they are. And we just do that stuff, but that's not true. That is a little blip of what, I mean, that, that picture took 30 minutes to capture one. I mean, this is supposed to be like a 20-minute session. This is a mini-session. Well, good lands, if a mini-session takes that long, I would hate to have a full-fledged full session. But that's, is that not the reality? What Jesus shows up and he tells us the truth. And so the world gets hostile toward that. And hear me, we're, we're to do the same thing. Now, now, we're to do it in a loving, gracious way, the way that Jesus did to us, okay? But we need to tell the world the truth about the reality of the state that they're in. And the next thing, I believe, another reason, like I said, we could talk all day about these, but, but, but another reason why I believe that there's hostility toward Jesus and his followers is because we that do believe and that are followers of Jesus have done a horrific job of really representing what Jesus is like. And, and I think because of the hypocrisy and hear me, I'm, 
I'm here to tell you, man, there's nobody more hypocritical in this room than the guy standing up here on the stage. And we're all hypocritical. We have all said something that we're against only to find ourselves doing it later. We have all stood up and made claims upon which I would never do only to find ourselves struggling or stuck in or have wandered into whatever it is. Every single one of us. So we're all hypocrites. But I think that we have done a horrific job of representing who Jesus really is. And even in that, what's crazy and what blows my mind, even in that, one, Jesus knows, and I don't know why we try to fool the world to make them think because we can do this and act like this, uh, that Jesus is okay and cool with it. And then what we do is we call them out on it the way that we're acting, but we don't call ourselves out on it, we just call them out on it. And so we look like fools, we look like, I mean, ridiculous. And I think because of that, the world wants nothing to do with Jesus, and so there's even more hostility built up toward the church. And I'm not here, I'm not here to at all saying that we have to be perfect we have to act like we have it all together we just need to be honest and we need to be thankful for grace and we need to live a life of repentance always repentance to Jesus and and asking people to always forgive us be willing to run to and ask them to forgive us because you know what we're gonna blow it <sighs> just breathe out for a second so you mean to tell me even as a follower of Jesus I'm gonna blow it absolutely we're not called to live perfect lives. We're called to live holy lives and we're called to, to make right what we've wronged, whether it be with somebody else or whether it's with Jesus. That's what we're called to do and be and live. So he goes on in verse 10, John 1, 10. He says this, he says, he was in the world, Jesus, and the world was made through him, Jesus, yet the world did not know him. So Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, he was present and he was there and he was shining gloriously before fallen man and they didn't even realize it they didn't even know it they didn't even care verse 11 and he came to his own so that's the world he was there in the midst of the world shining and showing and doing and being and the world didn't know it they didn't want anything to do with it and then what does he do in verse 11 he comes to his own and his own people didn't even receive him not only did the entire world not recognize his creator but God's chosen people rejected their Messiah God's people didn't want him because he wasn't the image, he wasn't what they thought he would be. He wasn't the kind of king they were looking for. He wasn't for them all that they thought that they were never promised. And so they didn't want it. See, John 3.19 says it like this. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light. And then he tells us why. Because their works were evil. The dark loves the dark. Because light exposes, light makes known. And the world wanted the dark. Why? Because their works were evil, their actions were evil. Verse 20 says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So why do we do stuff in the dark? We're not exposed. There's cover. We're not fully being made out. We're hidden. And so, so th this, is, this is my philosophy, my, my, my dad's philosophy was a little bit later than this and so I think now that I've had kids and I've lived in the world a little bit I mean I'm 37 years into this thing now and uh, I've been in student ministry for a while I've been around college ministry for a while and I've just I've seen things and I know things and so um, my philosophy is this there ain't nothing and yeah I said that right there ain't nothing good going on after 8 p.m. nothing and so that that's kind of where I'm kind of landing with my philosophy and I know my kids are going to hate me, which just means I'm being a good parent, right? That's another sermon for another day, but, um, and that's okay. Because I, I'm, not, I'm not, I'm trying to be sensitive here. I'm not called to be friends with my kids. I'm called to be a daddy. 
And sometimes daddies have to make decisions that's going to upset and frustrate and aggravate and cause your kids to not be happy. Y'all, y'all listening? You hearing me right here? So, so I'm going to make decisions. They're going to make decisions that's going to frustrate and going to aggravate and going to agitate. And all that means is that they're being a good daddy or a good mommy. All right? Because there are, look, look at me right here. Y'all, this row right here, look at me. There are things out there in the dark that you don't want to get a hold of. Because it's, it's real, evil is real, guys. And it's not because we're being mean or because we're being aggravating or because we're, well, maybe, maybe we're being aggravating, but it's because we love you. And because we love you, we're going to have a standard. And because we have a standard, we want to protect you and guard you. Now, I'm not talking about being a helicopter parent. That's different. And we're not going to helicopter and we're not going to do all that stuff, but, but we're going to know and we're going to guard and we're going to protect because there is, there is evil things out there. And the reason why I can even talk about that is this is simply because I know my heart. We were all teenagers at one time. Ah. Uh. Now he's meddling. You're dang right I am. Because whatever the Holy Spirit needs to do in this room, he needs to do. And if he needs to draw some things out into light, he needs to draw some things out into light. But we were there. We know what happens. We know what goes on. We need a garden. We need to protect. Not a helicopter, but we need a garden. We need to protect. Well, because I don't know about you, but I know my heart. I know my tendencies. You know that emotional thing? Like I can, I can easily swing back into what Scott likes. I can easily swing back over into the fleshy side of things. I can easily go to that. And I know my tendencies. I know my, I know my heart. And I know my desires apart from Christ. And I know I can sometimes just mute him. And I feel like, okay, okay, I can go, go do my own thing right now. And I'm good to go. But thank God he didn't let me do that for long. Thank God he brings about conviction. Thank God he gets up in my junk. Thank God that he doesn't just leave me out there to do whatever I want to do even in my sin and rebellion. And I know my tendencies. So because I know my tendencies, I want to safeguard that. I want to be very, very careful. I want to live in the light, even though there are times in my heart I want it to be dark. And the thing about that is this, is that that nobody in this room would ever know sometimes. And I'm not talking about outward stuff. I'm talking about some of the deepest, darkest sin. It's not external, it's internal. And so how in the world do we bring internal into the light when nobody else knows it? You don't know what I'm thinking. You, you don't know how I'm going to respond. And man, my responses internally sometimes are just wicked and nasty and dark. And so what do I do? I want to expose that. And, and so, so how do I do that? I've got a wife that holds me accountable, that loves Jesus very, very much. And so she has got the right to call me on anything she ever wants to. That there's nothing hidden from that woman. One, she's got my passwords to everything. And one of the reasons why she does that is because I am quick to forget. And so that way, if I forget, baby, what's that? What's my phone thing again? And then two, that there's nothing hidden. And, and at any time, she says, Scott, let me see your phone. Here you go. Scott, let me, let, me, let me check your computer. Here you go. It's not, baby, what you want. Uh-uh. Here you go. And she knows all my passwords. She knows, because I know the tendency of my heart. And if I don't have accountability, I know where I'll drift really, really quickly. And then I've also got men in my life that's going to call me. And, and that's the crazy thing. Like I was saying, that there's things internally that people don't see and don't know. And so what I have promised to them is this, is that when that stuff starts to kind of rile itself up, I'm going to come to you and let you know about it. Because you don't see that and you don't know how to respond sometimes internally. So I, I, want, to be, I want to be in the light all the time. I, I don't want to have to worry about. I don't want to have to have somebody say, well, do you know what Scott did? Yeah, I do. And if you really knew what he thought or what he did, oh, Lord help him. I, I don't want to be in that place. I want to be, I want to be known. And hear me, to be 99.9% known is to be fully unknown. You get that? 
To be 99, and I just stole that from another pastor somewhere, I don't know where. But to be 99.9% known is to be fully unknown. To be 99.9% in the light is to be 100% in darkness. We need to be known. We don't need to hide. We need to have things exposed. Why? Because that's when we can deal with. That's when we can do stuff with. That's when we can allow the Lord to work in us. So we need to set up parameters and boundaries for that. And so John here in chapter 3 is just going to echo uh, what he's already said, but then he's going to go a bit further with it. And people, people love the dark because they can keep doing what makes them happy and makes them feel good. That's what he's saying here uh, in John chapter, chapter 3. But back to John chapter 112. John chapter 112, this is what it says. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so that means that those who reject the light are not children of God. They're not children of God. Hear me, God is not everybody's father. God is not everybody's father. Though he's created everybody and they are his. Hear me, he holds the whole world in his hands. They are his. Even the most lost of lost are his and are being used for his glory. But not everybody has God as their father. John 8, 42 says this, if God were your father, then you would love me. That's Jesus saying that. You wanna know how you know if you've got God as a daddy, you love Jesus. You walk relationally with Jesus. That's what you do. So God is not everyone's father. And the test to see who your father is is to see who you love. Do you love Jesus? And I'm not talking about like, yeah, I like him or I, I tolerate him or I do some things for him from time to time. But I'm talking about like love him. I mean like really, really love him. And so I guess the question I'd ask here is this. Are you madly in love with Jesus? Can people in your life, can the world see that you are madly in love with Jesus? People know that I love my wife. People that I know know that I love my kids. People know that I love golf. But do they know that I am madly in love with Jesus just as much as I am with my kids, with my wife, with that dumb sport called golf? Do I show the same devotion, the same commitment, enthusiasm about my relationship with Jesus as I do the other things that I love? And my question for you is this, to you. Do you? Because if not, there's a problem. And I guess for me this week as I was studying, as I was looking at this, I was like, dang. Like you think it's rough on a Sunday morning, you try starting about Monday with this kind of stuff. And just chewing on it all week. And letting God just rub you and just sand you and just speak to your heart and be like, my goodness, God, why in the, why in the world do you love that more than me? Why in the world are you so enthusiastic about that? Why are you more devoted to that than me? Church, my question for you is this. Do you, do you love him supremely? Do you love him utmost? And I don't even want, like I said, we, we think more highly of ourselves than we should. And we're, like, we're going to answer yes. And you're here on a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Of course, right? But I'm talking about those people that you're going to go to work with tomorrow morning. I'm going to talk about those little kids that you teach every week. I'm going to talk about your husband and your kids. Do they say that you love Jesus supremely? What about your cousins? What would mama say? That's who I'm interested in how they answer. Because hear me, if they don't answer yes, that boy is crazy about him. That girl loves him like you wouldn't believe more than anything else. In church, there's a problem. There is a problem because you know how you know you're a child of God? You love Jesus. You don't like him. You don't tolerate him. You don't do some things for him. But you are fully committed and in. Which brings us to verses 12 and 13. And they're important because they tell us how we become children of God. And so I want to push us this morning to think about this question I'm about to ask you. Just just hear this for a moment. I want you just to, to think on this, to meditate on this for the next few moments. And the question is this. As I just kind of just to follow up with what I just said. 
not everyone is a child of God, am I? I just want you to think about that for a few moments. Not everyone is a child of God, am I? And I just want to press you this morning to check your heart, to check your faith this Advent season, this Christmas season. And I'm not trying to talk you out of something. I'm not. And I know sometimes I can be hard, but, but, but I know this, that there is not a thing in the world that can convince me otherwise that I'm, not Jesus, that I'm Jesus's. There's nothing that convinced me otherwise that I don't belong to him. Not conversations, not evidences. There is nothing in this world, there is no conversation, there is nobody living that could convince me otherwise that I belong to Jesus. Nothing. So if you know, you know, and it has nothing to do with what I did or with what you did, it all depends on everything that Jesus did. That's what I'm talking about, the cross, faith, the Holy Spirit working in your life. All of those things are good gifts of God that he does in your life. And as a result of that, he confirms in your heart that you belong to him. And there is nothing that could convince it. And I don't care how much sin I have been involved in this week or what struggle has looked like this week. All I know is this, is that the voice of God always calls me back. That conviction in my heart always draws me back to repentance, back to the foot of the cross to remind me of how good and how great Jesus is and how much I need him. And even in the darkest of days in my life, and I've got that constant reminder of the Holy Spirit in my life drawing me. So not everyone is a child of God, am I? And so verse 12 is going to set two conditions, receiving Jesus and believing in Jesus. That's the two conditions that are going to be set. Let's look at it as we, we start to wind down. It says, but, but to all who did receive him. So that's the first condition, for all who did receive him. And so receiving Jesus means that when Jesus offers himself to us, what do we do? We, we welcome him into our life for whatever he is. So if he comes to us as Savior, we welcome that salvation. If he comes to us uh, as authority, we welcome his authority. If he comes to us as a king, we welcome his rule. We take Jesus into our life. We receive him into our life for what he is. And it doesn't mean that we just kind of coexist with Christ. He's not a roommate that we can tolerate, but rather he's a spouse that we adore and give full access to. That's who Jesus is. That's receiving Jesus. He says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. So believing in Jesus' name is trusting in Jesus. It's supreme faith. It's trusting everything that's been said about Jesus to be true. It's, it's trusting everything that he's done and accomplished is right and good and true. And it's abandoning all that we are for that. It's exchanging who we are for who he is. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's how we become children. That's how we become part of the family. Through believing in his name, Jesus being born of a virgin. We celebrate that during the season, do we not? That's what we're celebrating now. That he lived a sin of life, that he died as a sin sacrifice on the cross, and that he rises three days later to defeat death, hell, and the grave. And then in that, in that faith, in that walking into that and abandoning all that we are, we become children of God. And so sonship and daughtership is not a mere title and privilege, but it's a complete change of nature. That's what it is. Now let's look as we finish here in verse 13. But I want to read 12 again with it because they, they just butt up so, so nicely. They're tightly connected. Verse 12 says, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but how they are born of what? God. So this being born of God is not a human generation at all. It's, a, it's not a, a being a man or in that manner of any way. This makes clear that two true children of God come into being how through faith in Jesus. It's not a physical birth, but it's a supernatural birth. 
And what we see throughout the book of John is this kind of language being, being used, especially here early in, the cha- in these chapters. It uses this type of language in John 3. I mean, we know John 3, right? It leads up to John 3, 16 that we know so well. But the story before that is so beautiful. You have this Pharisee named Nicodemus, right? So he's like a, a religious ruler of the day. He's a ruler of the Jews. And what does he do? He comes to Jesus when at night. Why? Because we can conceal, we can hide. So he comes to Jesus at night. And he says this to Jesus, you've got to be from God because no one can do the signs that you do. No one can do all that you do. And then Jesus, Jesus is so good that he answers the question that he doesn't even ask. And John 3, 3 says this, it says, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then Nicodemus kind of has this conversation with him and he says to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answers and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said, you must be born again. Church, same thing for us. To enter into the kingdom, to be a child of God, is that we've got to be born again. And so Jesus is saying that in order to inherit that eternal life, we've got to be born from above. We have to be born from above. There's a need for spiritual transformation or regeneration. It only comes by way of the Holy Spirit. And so this new birth is the act of God where eternal life is imparted to believers. And in that, it makes us a child of God. And so this Christmas season, as the band comes back up to lead us in a time of response, in a time of reflection, that's what makes this time of the year so amazing. Is that Jesus comes, not so that we can have presents, not so that we can decorate a tree, not so that we can throw this cute little manger scene out in our yard and let it glow and ah, oh. No. Jesus comes to offer us life. To remind us that it's only through a relationship with Him that God giving His Son through a little baby in a manger who's going to grow up and be a perfect man, the Son of God. And He's going to be our sin sacrifice on that cross. And he's going to rise three days later after He's horrifically murdered on that cross. And so I just want to tell you, man, there's so many false lights out there There's so much stuff that's buying for our attention, that's trying to draw us away, that's trying to convince us that we're utmost, that's trying to convince us that our emotions matter the most, that that you should and that you deserve. There's so much false out there. But that's what this season is about. God shining His light in this world by way of His Son to reveal truth. Because when you come into the light of Jesus, you can't hide You can't get away from. He's going to expose. He's going to make known. He's going to point to. He's going to put his finger on. And he's going to do all of that. Why? Because he loves us. And how horrific would it be for us to go our whole life and not to know the truth about us? I mean, how how awful would that be to think the whole time that we're something that we're not? Only to get to that moment to when we find out and realize that we're not is when we stand before the, the throne of God. And his response to that is, depart from me, I never knew you. But Jesus, I did. But Jesus, I was good here. But Jesus, I felt like this that day. But Jesus, I didn't. And there's truth. And I sent that truth in the form of a babe that grew up to be a man that modeled and showed and set the standard. And so this season is God shining his light in this world by way of his son. To draw a lost man to himself so they can be born again. Since I've already let my West Virginia come out, I'm going to just give you a little bit more for a second, and it's this. I'm like, I grew up out in the country, and we had gnats. I mean, these were like awful, God-awful. I know not supposed to say God-awful, but they were like God-awful type. I mean, 
horrible. And I can remember growing up out in the country, we would sometimes, we'd have these like little blue lights. I don't even know what they are. But what would they do? They would attract the gnats and then fry those suckers. I know this is kind of breaking down as an illustration. We don't want you to get fried. We want you to get saved. But that's what Jesus does. He draws, he attracts. Because when the truth is made known, and you understand that even in the truth, when God outs you for who you are, and he makes you aware of the condition that you're in, that he still says, but I want you to be a child of mine. I, I want you to know that. Why? Because he sends his son. Why? Because he dies on the cross. He's, like, I, just, I just want us to get that this season, to know that. That God draws us by his son. That Jesus shines truth into the world that is lost and without. And in doing that, he draws man and woman to himself. And when we believe we're born again, a supernatural birth, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, and we're made alive and we become children of God. That's what this season's about. And don't be the ones who he's come to and we've had nothing to do with. Don't miss out on the reality of who Jesus Christ is and what this season stands for. What this day means. Some of my questions are this. Have you seen the light? Have you been drawn to God through Jesus? And have you believed? If not, man, maybe today's the day of salvation for you. Maybe today's the day that the light has come on and that He has shined like crazy in your life and He has shown you truth. Or maybe you're sitting here this morning there's something in your life that just keeps from the light from shining in you like it should be. And what you do is you just repent and you draw that darkness. You, you drag it, and, it, and hear me, hear me. A lot of the times I have to drag it kicking and screaming. Because, man, the flesh wants the, what the flesh wants. And it's difficult. But you drag it to the light and you let the light expose for what it truly is. And you let God do a work in your life and you repent and you run to Him and you ask Him to break your heart over sin. So I don't know what God's spoken to your heart or what He said to you this morning. But, man, I just want to encourage you, if you don't know Jesus as the true light in, in this world, then maybe this morning's the, the, the morning that you can come to know that. Or if there's sin in your life or you just want to come pray or you just need, to, need somebody to talk to, we're here and we would love to minister to you that way. But you be obedient to whatever it is that God's calling you to this morning. Father, we love you. Jesus, we need you. We pray that you speak and move this morning in this moment. Father, we pray that light would shine and expose and God, draw us to you. Father God, how amazing is that? We're in a dark room doing what we're not supposed to. And you flip the light on and you expose it. And in that moment, your arms are wide open calling us to come to you. Jesus, thank you. And you do that by way of being born as a lowly babe, growing up to be a big, strong man, and setting the standard for us only to die and defeat death, hell, and the grave. God, thank you so much for what this time of the year means. Thank you for being the true light. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys stand and respond as God calls.